Hey folks, and welcome back to Return to the Telepodcast, a show about shitty horror movie sequels, prequels, reboots, and, you know, other stuff. I'm Bryce Patterson, and as usual, I'm joined by my dear friend and co-host, Kevin Serrano Echeverria. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk about orphans, which is a phrase that I don't usually say. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and folks, if you're noticing that our voices sound even more, uh, dulcet and delicious than usual, well, that's a fun word. Yeah. Like dulcet. Like dulcimer. Like dulcet, yeah. Dulcet. We're, uh, we're borrowing a microphone, so, uh, you know, fingers crossed this works. Kevin's crossing his fingers, uh, Damn. for all of our <laughs> viewers, um, <laughs> listeners. Yeah, you can't really see that. I don't know if you can hear that. Yeah, they, they absolutely can't. Oh, okay. Uh, so, so yeah, so this week's gonna be a little bit different. Um, we're looking at Haume Colette Serra's, uh, apologies for my pronunciation, uh, 2009 film Orphan, and William Brent Bell's 2022 prequel Orphan First Kill. Neither of these, I, I wouldn't say either of them is necessarily, like, a classic. No, they're, they're both, like, especially First Kill, is, is way too, like, recent to be a classic literally like i think orphan first kill came out like at the time of this recording like a few weeks ago so it's it's pretty recent and even then like the first orphan came out like 2009 so like i can't do math less than 20 years ago <laughs> yeah yeah well and there's there's a weird distance between like there's orphan and then there aren't any other like sequels or anything right no it's like a 13 year gap between like Orphan and Orphan First Kill, which is, like, it's it's odd to me that, like, a filmmaker was just like, hey, remember this, like, series that, like, did pretty okay? Let's, like, make a reboot, but, like, not a reboot, a prequel, that's the term. Yeah, well, and to be fair, really, it's, I would say it's roughly on par with the first film. I think maybe the first one is more, more surprising, but, like... It's not a shitty reboot by no. any means. No, they're both pretty good. Like they're both pretty much on the same level of quality. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I mean, I guess before we get ahead of ourselves, like Kevin, what's what's your history with these movies? So I saw Orphan. Um, gosh, I don't even remember when that was. Uh, I think I was like a teenager at some point. Uh, I just watched it. I think I watched it with my mom actually. Because she is kind of a fan of horror movies as well. Uh, especially really shitty ones. Uh, so we just watched it together. I thought it was a neat film. That was really, really fun. Uh, and I kind of like objectively knew from like a horror standpoint that it wasn't like a... It was, it's not a solid film, but like I don't care because it's a really, really fun film that I enjoy. Uh, and because Orphan First Kill literally came out a few weeks ago, <laughs> I, I just watched it like a few days ago, so... Yeah, that's my history with it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I have a vague memory of when Orphan, the original film, came out. I, I would have been in high school. I think I was like a sophomore. Um, but I, I never saw it. This was my my first time, and I didn't really know anything going into it. Um, but I kind of just assumed it was sort of in that same sort of like creepy kid horror as like The Omen, say. You're not wrong. It kind of is, except it has a nice little Shyamalan twist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I um, yeah, I I genuinely enjoyed both. They're they're both, I think, like 
fundamentally kind of dumb yes. in, in some basic ways or like there's there there are just these gaping plot holes that like I don't know like what to do with you know <laughs> I'm pretty sure like the filmmakers knew that they were there though and that the plot was really dumb which I enjoyed I mean like I don't I don't I don't think you can make a plot work if it includes like slapping a nine-year-old in the middle of a hospital yeah yeah no that's a, it's, a, it's a hard sell <laughs> So really quickly before we get uh, too deep into things, I just want to give a full-on spoiler warning for both Orphan and Orphan First Kill. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're both, what, on Paramount Plus? Is that yeah. how we watched them? We both, we watched both of them on Paramount Plus, yes. Yeah, so they're they're both available to stream. Uh, and they're they're worth experiencing without spoilers, I think. They, they have some really interesting twists and turns to them. Mm-hmm. So watch them before listening to this episode. Please do. I'm going to just briefly summarize uh, Orphan from 2009. After losing a child to miscarriage, Kate and John Coleman decide to adopt a nine-year-old Russian orphan named Esther. Their young daughter Max, who is deaf, welcomes Esther quickly while their son Daniel is much more skeptical. Kate starts to become suspicious of Esther, and especially after uh, Esther walks in on her and her husband kind of boning down, and she she kind of obviously understands more than Kate would expect a nine-year-old to. Um, a nun from the orphanage where Esther came from warns John and Kate that Esther might actually be dangerous, uh, and Esther murders her and intentionally implicates Max. Uh, and eventually she implicates the son, Daniel, as well. Uh, not knowing this, um, Kate kind of has, she has a kind of a growing sense of paranoia, whereas John doesn't see any problem with Esther. Uh, and eventually Kate is sent to the hospital after she has an outburst where she slaps Esther in the middle of a hospital. Truly iconic scene. Yeah. Uh, and then, so then back at the house, Esther, now dressed and made up as an adult, attempts to seduce John. While this is happening, Kate gets a call from a psychiatric institute in Estonia, where Esther was once a patient, revealing that Esther is in fact a woman in her 30s, uh, with a condition that prevents her from growing or really looking older than about nine years old. Uh, Kate rushes home to find that John has uh, rejected Esther's advance and been murdered by her, uh, and the two women face off, and eventually Esther is killed. Yep, you forgot the many horny drawings that she just has. Oh, yeah. Over, I forgot his name, over John. (laughs) Which, yeah, John is, like, extreme dilf. Yes, both movies, like, I, I'm pretty sure they purposefully casted, like, the most delphi actors they could find. They're both very hot, and I very much want them to take care of me and tell me that everything's okay. And I want them to call me Sport for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. All right, folks, you heard it here first. Um... <laughs> but, but yeah, it, it, it's... I like, I like the twist of the movie a lot, and I usually don't like twists in movies, but I feel like it really works in this film. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, I think what happens is you, you go in expecting for it to be kind of, um, you know, the omen. Yeah. And then in the third act, you're suddenly like, wait a second, this is, uh, 
not Basic Instinct. Uh, the other one, the one with uh, Glenn Close. Yeah, the other one, Fatal Attraction. <laughs> fatal Attraction. Yeah, yeah, it, like it, it, it shifts into Fatal Attraction in a way that I think is really surprising mm-hmm. and pretty, pretty like satisfying. I yeah. think. I think it's a good twist. No, I agree. I, I like that the twist is not only that she's like a, actually a thirty-one-year-old woman, but that she's Estonian and not actually Russian, <laughs> yeah. which I think is much more surprising personally. Also, just that like. She is just, like, going for the dad, yeah. you know? I mean, I can't blame her. He's really hot. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, no one can blame her, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, and I, I think that really that twist is the central thing that really makes the film work. Like, I think there's a lot of kind of bits and bobs that are right. fun and, and what have you. There's uh, a great scene where... Um, Kate has this this bush of roses that she's grown to kind of, uh, I guess, commemorate the the daughter that they lost um, in the miscarriage, and uh, Esther like cuts the cuts the roses and presents them to her as like, what a nice thing I'm doing for you. Uh, that scene. It's such a girl boss moment. <laughs> yeah, it is such a girl boss moment. It's amazing. Uh, I, and I really like how like, the movie sets up like esther and i don't know if it's doing it purposefully but it like sets up esther to really not be that bad of a child where you can kind of believe like john's argument that she's just like traumatized because she's like a foreign child that just got adopted after going through traumatic stuff because like she's not really all that bad until like it's it's kind of revealed well until she murders a nun so (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of kind of abrupt uh but like before then she's just like kind of a jerk sometimes like swears once like pushes a child but like none of it's like not believable yeah when she she hangs on that kind of like demon child archetype of mm-hmm. being sort of like the the perfect grown-up kind of child right. uh around certain people and not around others and i think watching her manipulate the parents back and forth against each other mm-hmm. is really satisfying it is yeah yeah, and kind of once you find out that it's because she's, like, real horny for John, it makes a lot of sense. Right, we suddenly relate to her so much more. We truly, truly do. Yeah, no, and I, I think that, like, the, you know, the the plot hinges, right, on this marriage that was not in great shape mm-hmm. uh, before Esther entered the picture. Right. Um, so, right, there's the trauma of the miscarriage, but even if we go back further, we find out... Uh, somewhere at some point in the film that John had an affair at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a very human kind of dynamic that is already uh, not working perfectly, yeah. but then Esther comes in and is able to exacerbate the, those tensions. And so it, it it feels believable that she could kind of gaslight both of these people who both seem kind of, uh, you know, they're both hurting and self-absorbed in their own ways. Yeah, and if anyone gets gaslit the most, it's Kate. Because, like, she, she also, uh, from from what I gathered from the film, the miscarriage caused, like, Kate to really, like, go downhill and, like, go into alcoholism. And that only stopped because, like, if I remember right, she almost, like, just witnessed her child die. And then it, like, made her stop drinking. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's those like really deep fault lines kind yeah. of throughout the marriage. Yeah, yeah, and Esther very much like plays up like 
the suspicion that like everyone still has around Kate that she's still not completely well yet, which is I think really really interesting that everyone like groups up on her because she went through something traumatic. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's an interesting like the the way that Esther fits into the family. I think is mm. really fascinating that the younger daughter Max. Um, instantly kind of takes to her and seems really excited to have an older sister uh the son daniel is not a fan and is kind of a douchebag he really is but then you know even with the parents right so um kate is uh she's a pianist and i I think she uh was teaching at at a university i think was the starting point i think she might have been teaching at yale Mm. um and then lost her job kind of due to her alcoholism um, and so there's these scenes early on where she's teaching Esther to play piano and you can kind of see how, um, Esther kind of fills a need for her having one child who like, uh, we, we see Daniel play guitar hero a couple different times, yeah. um, within, within the movie and he has no interest in actually playing music. Um, I never even thought about that before. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guitar hero, but he won't actually learn an instrument. Yeah, and so there's this really interesting dynamic then that, like, Esther is kind of, like, everything she could dream of of a child who, like, shares her passions. Right. Um, and so she's teaching Esther piano and then at some point realizes, like, oh, Esther could be, like, a concert pianist. Like, she's actually, like, uh, a prodigy. Yeah, she was just gaslighting her in order to make her feel better. But she had, but Esther actually fucking knows how to play Tchaikovsky. Which, I mean, like, if you, like, adopt a child from Russia... I kind of assume that they're going to know Tchaikovsky. <laughs> it's kind of like pre-built in. It's, it's sort of like the, the software that comes pre-loaded. Pretty much, yeah. Every every Russian orphan comes knowing Tchaikovsky. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's kind of what they, uh, you know, the songs they would always have on like MP3 players yeah. when you bought them. It's like the, the U2 that comes pre-loaded and you can't get it off. <laughs> I hate that. Yeah. So, I mean, it is, it's it's a fun back and forth. Um, I think there are some, some basic sort of issues with with the film like the narratively there's a, a good amount of plot holes um i think there's a problem that the two kids uh so not esther but max and daniel don't have that much personality or i don't think they're super well developed not really no but they become pretty central to the story they're both threatened by esther and they both kind of have to live in the same house as a girl that they know is a murderer, but because they're sort of flat and they don't get enough screen time, I think it's hard to feel the tension from their perspective. Right. Which, I mean, like, the the only real characteristics you get from Max is that she's deaf and she's just generally a nice person, or a nice girl. And Daniel's even worse. He's just, like, a teenager. Like, I don't even want to say, like, that mean of a teenager, because, like, I'm pretty sure every, like, 13, 14-year-old boy acted like that at their age, but... Yeah, 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 I would say, I mean, and to be fair, Max is young enough that I think just being, like, a sweet kid is, like, a lot of the personality that a kid maybe does display at that age. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think that they end up having this, like, really amazing setup where we have two kids who know that their adopted sister is a murderer and can't say anything. Um, but that's sort of sidelined pretty quickly. The the film doesn't uh, live in that moment all that much. Not really. It's kind of made obvious to their mom at least that like they know something's up and that they're really uncomfortable around Esther yeah and that's 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 about all that we get out of that pretty much I feel like we have to talk about how like absurdly horny this movie is yep it's a lot there's a lot of sex and like a lot of Esther wanting to have sex and failing 
immensely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So Kate and John, as a couple, are just, like, always, like, three seconds away from boning down. Um, and then a good chunk of the movie is, like, them, like, about to have sex, and then Esther just kind of, like, popping up and being like, what's going on? I had a bad dream. From that perspective, like, I can kind of imagine why someone would want to return a child if they keep, like, walking in on me trying to have sex with someone. I'd be very upset about that. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I think that there's, um, there's an interesting dynamic. So, uh, Kate is played by... I think Vera Flamingo, Vera Farmington, Maine. Um, yes. Vera Farmiga, I think is what it is. But so just as, as far as like the kind of camera work and the framing of the film goes, Vera Farmiga is like, uh, oh, and she's, you know, probably most well known for the Conjuring mm-hmm. uh, films. Um, she's pretty regularly sexualized by the camera. And there's sort of an interesting thing there where I'm a little like I I think maybe like the better move would be to sexualize the dad character more it makes more sense because he's supposed to be like what Esther is attracted to he's supposed to be like the whole reason why she's there and like pretending to be like a Russian orphan (laughs) is to mostly just subbone the dad yeah 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 it sort of feels like um the horniness of the film is really kind of we're supposed to be experiencing Esther's horniness, right. which like obviously we are <laughs> um, very much so, yes. But uh, but yeah, it, it it it's an interesting thing as far as the actual like eye of the camera. It, it still is fairly like male gazy, um, in mean, a way that feels yeah. off thematically. Yeah, it really does. It, it needs a it needs a good shot of like Friday the Thirteenth too, or Nightmare on Elm Street too. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Just like so focused on the dude, so focused on the dude. <laughs> I mean, I'm into it. I'm, I'm into it. I'm yeah, and I mean that it's not like a significant issue. It was just something that like kind of at the end I was like, wait a second, but like where were all the shots of like the dad's abs or whatever? Right? You know, like that felt like what what we needed for the plot more than like Vera Farmiga with her shirt off a bunch of times. Right. Well, the dad didn't have abs. I made sure. Oh, damn. Yeah. Well, you know. It's still hot, though. Yeah, I mean, I... Honestly, I don't have that much to say besides, like, it's a fun movie with, like, a really good twist. Pretty much. Um, I feel like my only, like, real criticism is, is that, like, just the surrounding characters, and it's a similar criticism to, like, uh, Orphan First Kill, it's just that the surrounding characters don't really have much to do, and they're not really brought into the plot a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's especially true with, like, the nun character, who, like, gets, like, a few lines, and then gets killed, pretty much. And, like, it's kind of made to seem, like, really, really bad at her job. Yeah, 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 there's a whole thing where she's like, oh, I did a bit more research, and all of this stuff came up. How do you miss that? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure they, like, check a child's background before they like just give them up to whoever yeah and i mean i know nothing about the kind of process of adoption right but i imagine it doesn't work how it works in these films no, I'm sure not. i mean like do, do like do orphanage first of all do orphanages still exist in the united states i have no clue second of all do, are they still run by like catholic nuns 
Like, is that even a thing anymore? I mean, if it is a thing, it would be done in Connecticut, but, like... Yeah, uh, fair. Right. And and do the nuns not have access to, like, the internet? Yeah, like, does no one do, like, any kind of background research? Right. I mean, I feel like it's a pretty big deal if, like, you you don't know that Esther came from a family that, like, was killed by arson. Yeah. Yeah, that seems like that would stick out very heavily in anyone's record. And also, like, something that, you know, Kate and John probably would have known before adopting her. Ideally, they would have, yeah. That's what kind of, like, the the whole adoption scene is also a little weird. They make it kind of seem like they just, like, gravitate towards her, and they're like, okay, now you take this child. Yeah, yeah, they meet her once, and they're like, yeah, I think that's the, I think that's that's the one. I yep. think we're good. Don't need to look at any other kids. That's her. Yeah. On that one. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, uh, Kevin, do you want to summarize Orphan First Kill for us? Yes, a lot of, a lot of stuff happens. A lot. Yeah, so it's dense. The summary's a little bit longer. Uh, so the film opens up in 2007 in Estonia. Lena Klammer, who, which is like the real name of Esther from the original Orphan film, uh, is a 31-year-old woman with a condition that makes her look like she's 9 years old. Uh, she's being held at the Sarna Psychiatric Institution uh, due to murdering an Estonian family in much of the same way she does in the first film, which I kind of alluded to, like, a few seconds ago. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, Lena ends up escaping the institution by killing a guard and later assumes the identity of, of a missing American girl, Esther Albright, when she is found by police. Uh, she's taken to the United States where she's, quote, reunited with her, quote, family, uh, Mother Trisha, Father Allen, and her older brother Gunner. Uh, Inspector Donan, who was the lead investigator of Esther's case, is suspicious of Esther and searches for clues to prove her identity. Uh, Esther catches on to his suspicions and attacks him in his home. But before she can deliver the final blow, Trisha shoots Donan dead. It's a big, uh, big Shyamalan twist. Uh, she explains to Esther that her real daughter was killed by Gunner in an accident and that she and her son hid the body and declared her missing. With Esther now, quote, found, Trisha and Esther uh, agree to play along both for Alan's sake and to keep the death of the real Esther a secret. Uh, as Esther gets closer to Alan and starts developing feelings for him, once again he is also a dilf, uh, <laughs> Trisha decides to kill her. Uh, failing the first time, Esther decides to, to do the same to Trisha and Gunner, though she also fails. Uh, with Alan on a trip into the city, Trisha and Gunner attack Esther and try to pass her murder off as a suicide, although Esther escapes. They're really bad at killing this child. Uh, and she ends up killing Gunner. Uh, in the ensuing struggle with Trisha, the pair set the house on fire. Uh, worried after hearing their fight over the phone, Alan returns to his home, uh, and he finds it aflame with Trisha and Esther hanging off the ledge of a roof. Uh, Alan rescues Esther as Trisha falls to her death. However, once rescued, Esther's disguise is removed, and Esther reveals the truth to Alan. Horrified, Alan falls off the roof to his own death. 
After the incident, Esther is placed in an orphanage where she awaits a new family to adopt her, which is the first film. I guess connects right into the first film. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we should start by saying, like, the DILFs are even DILFier. In, too DILF, in... too furious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, DILF, Tokyo, Tokyo DILF. Um, Tokyo DILF. Yeah, it's, uh, they're not messing around. No, they're, they're casting the hottest men over, like, 40 they can find in that casting room. Yeah, and it, it works, you know? I mean, I think, uh, while we were watching it, we could all relate to Esther very solidly. Yes. I'm pretty sure I'd do the exact same thing, given her position. Yeah. Well, I actually think that that's one of the central kind of strengths of the film, Mm -hmm. that, like, even though the plot largely looks very similar to the first uh, film, you know, Mm -hmm. it's she's adopted by a family, trying to bang the dad, all hell breaks loose, you know. Yes, you do. Um, It's interesting, because from the very beginning, we're seeing the story from... Esther's perspective yeah and so like that reversal makes it feel much more fresh than than I think it 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 might have been otherwise it's a clever reversal because like in the first film we see it from Kate's perspective almost exclusively like very much from like a victim's perspective of something happening to her and from the very beginning of the uh, first kill it's from it's from Esther's perspective so we kind of expect to more like be in the eyes of like the murderer who is like actively doing things, but it turns out that she is a victim, sort of. In 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 this sort of way too, so it's a really interesting reversal. It just happens like right in the middle of the film. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it, it's sort of we see like there's a kind of a constant ebb and flow of like who has the most power in the house, who right. has the most control. Um, and so, yeah, we, we begin with uh, Esther kind of at rock bottom that she's being held in this institution. Mm-hmm. She escapes, and then she's very much in control and then absolutely loses that control yeah. and then sort of regains it at the end. Yeah. Esther's, like, in, in both films, she's very much almost this uh, picaresque hero where she's, like, using her wits to just, like, get through everything. She's just really, really clever, except she's also, like, a murderer, yeah, so. yeah. When honestly, like her fatal flaw might be her horniness. Like that might be what True. brings her down in both stories. <laughs> she would get by so well if she just wasn't so goddamn horny. Yeah, I, I feel her, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I, I think that leads to like, there's a really fun sort of cat and mouse game uh, between uh, Esther and and the mom. Mm-hmm. Um, Trisha. Trisha, thank you, yeah. Where we kind of see them go back and forth. Um, so, like, Trisha tries to give Esther some sleeping pills to kind of knock her out, um, and then Esther puts a rat in the smoothie that she makes for her, you know? It's like, uh, again, it's like pretty girl boss, like, back and forth. It's, it is girl bossing through and through. Just girl bosses pit against each other, featuring a child that no one likes. That child being Gunner, because he's a shitty character. Yeah, and then Gunner, <laughs> I think, is one of the central weaknesses of the film. Yeah. I mean, like, the rest of his family is so likable, even though, like, his mom's a shitty person, I still love her immensely, and, like, his dad's a fucking, like, dilf himbo that has no idea what's going on, and, like, Gunner himself is just, like, this, like, rich prick that no one likes, and I was yeah. kind of okay with him dying, and I kind of wanted him to die anyway, so it was fine. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, so, like, I, yeah, I think, like, the mom is satisfying to watch yeah. because, like, yeah, she's evil, but she's, like, kind of deliciously evil. She's, like, conniving, and I love that. Yeah, she's and the... Girl the, boss. You know, so the the dad is, uh, in context of the film, I guess, like, a, a fairly well-respected painter, right. and he really wants to share that passion with Esther, and so we see that he's kind of sweet and loving, um and kind of genuine at the same time as he's super dumb and can't tell that there's like shady stuff going on <laughs> all around so him. <laughs> but then Gunner is this weird cog that like he yeah, he's just like a douchebag from beginning to end Pretty and it, he starts unlikable and then when we realize that he accidentally killed the first sister and we don't fully know how that happened, I don't think. All, all that like Trisha says that he was too rough with her and that's it. Yeah, yeah, and so so he's kind of revealed to be actually a murderer or a manslaughterer or whatever, you know, yeah. he, that that he accidentally killed this girl, and, like, the moment that's revealed, he goes from just being, like, kind of a douchebag to being, like, very full-on psycho. Right. And, like, I mean, the entire plot wouldn't have happened if Gunner just didn't fucking kill his sister. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, it, to me, you know, we were wondering if it might be a nod to the John Benet Ramsey case, because right. that's one idea that people have put forward, right, right or one theory, um, but I, I honestly, I think I would prefer if the mom had, had just, like, actually chosen to murder her daughter for whatever reason, I think that would be more interesting. I think it would be interesting, but it really wouldn't make sense to her character that much, because, mm-hmm. like, she was so, she did so much in order to, like, cover up for Gunner. That, like, I don't think she would just, like, purposefully kill her child. Unless her child was, like, somehow a bigger shitbag. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And, I mean, I think we get the sense, right, so they're this incredibly wealthy New England family. Yeah. Uh, she's kind of, like, a, a socialite. Her husband is, a, is an artist. Um, and so I think we get the sense that she's kind of trying to defend this sort of, like, perfect life uh, right. in, like, massive air quotes that yeah. they've, they've kind of created for themselves. Um, it's so, a perfect like trading spaces family where it's just like I'm a socialite I'm an artist our budget is three million dollars <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> um, yeah yeah so so yeah there is something very kind of um, oh god like Martha Stewart uh, kind of like, I was going to say Martha Stewart but more violent but Martha Stewart's Martha Stewart's pretty uh, she could she could take someone on <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Martha Stewart did time, right? She did time, and she's, like, good friends with Snoop Dogg. Oh, hell yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, so, no, I think I think that's fair. I think, centrally, there's just the problem that Gunner is just always a douche. And, like, from the very beginning, yeah. I think there's sort of... Uh, so we get a lot of warmth from Alan, the father, right? Yeah. Like, we can tell that he genuinely was heartbroken by the loss of his daughter. Yeah. With Trisha, I was kind of suspicious from the very beginning because she seems oddly cold, and then, right. you know, the suspicions were kind of confirmed. Gunner just seems, like, utterly disinterested in yeah. her from the very beginning. And so, it, it, I, like, I guess it's, like, either I feel like Gunner should have intentionally killed his sister and be right. revealed to be just, like, an utter sociopath. Right. Or we needed, like, a total reworking of his character. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he actually did kill his sister on purpose. Because he does kind of, like, come off as a sociopathic jerk. And, like, it might just have been his, like, mom not wanting to believe that he did that or something. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So then it's kind of denial and... Right. 
thematically I think that does tie back to this sort of like we push down the secrets so we can maintain our sort of facade of uh you know right. waspy pretty much perfection. I, I just wish that he wasn't so pathetic as a character. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's just, like, he's just frustrating to watch, yeah. I think. It's, like, he's, he's, I, it reminds me of, like, you know, the discussions we've had about, like, Stephen King's kind of bully characters, yeah. where it's he's just, like... literally a Stephen King bully character. Yeah, so you just have somebody who's, like, a kind of, like, unrelenting douchebag that, like, slides into, like, insane murderer. Right. Um, and, like, all of his friends are also just, like, Dude, terrible. Thanks. Yeah, they're just all assholes. Yeah, they're With, are, like... Yeah. And, and so they feel very untextured, I guess. Like, right. there's just this kind of flat, like, yeah, he's just an asshole. Like, what do you want from me? I'm like, well, I mean, I kind of would prefer the character to have a little bit more, like, more going on, I right. guess. I mean, I guess it, it kind of makes sense thematically as, like, they're supposed to be this waspy, rich family. Like, if you, I don't know about you, but, like, of the few waspy, rich families that I've met, they're not the greatest people. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I think it varies, you know, right. and I, I think that like we could see him being this kind of like privileged high school athlete who's right. you know comes from a wealthy family and is headed to some like he's Ivy a, League school he's or a whatever. Fucking fencer, like how much more pretentious can he get than like I'm a fucking fencer? <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, I just like I don't I don't think he's very interesting. No, um, and I think. Especially, like, when you compare it to, like, his mom and dad were, like, infinitely more interesting than him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just not, like, enough going on with him. No. But I, and I think there's there's a, a similar... Well, uh, maybe it's just, like, an utterly different problem as far as characterization. That, mm. like, from the beginning of the movie, even though this is a prequel... Esther is exactly the same as she is in the original film, right? Like, yeah. we don't see her change and like go through an experience and come out the other side having like learned something you know which isn't necessary but it's weird for a prequel to start with a character and then like end with them in the exact same place yeah i mean i kind of want to say that like she gets more cynical and more hardened through all of that but she's already really cynical and really hardened from the beginning of the film i think I, i think it was kind of a mistake to have uh, the movie focused not on her first kill, even though it's called Orphan First Kill. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, but, like, I don't know exactly why they didn't. In my opinion, it's probably because, like, they established in the first Orphan movie that she killed a family in Estonia. So they don't want to have, like, a movie where she's just killing a bunch of Estonians, speaking Estonian, that Americans would not, like, connect to, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's weird though, right? So, because we we open with her at the uh, the Sarn Institute, right, right. Uh, in Estonia, and there's this exposition dump that's like, yeah, she like murdered this whole family, and I think it even tells us then that like she tried to bang the dad and he yeah. didn't want to. Yep. And so it's essentially like the plot of the original film, but in Estonia happening purely in exposition yeah um and so it's like yeah there's like an entire film's worth of exposition and then she breaks out and goes and does the, the same basic same events she's yeah done that three times <laughs> she has a very clear mo yeah no yeah she really really <laughs> very specific yeah and and i think that it ends up sort of feeling like 
do we need like a prequel to the prequel to see how she actually was before this? You know, I mean, um, like that's the only that's the only thing I could see the movie doing or the franchise doing at this point, and I kind of want them to do something different. Yeah, because like I don't necessarily want to see the same thing again. Yeah, yeah. When I I think the the move to her joining a family that's actually like kind of rotten to its core. Right. Um, I, think that, I thought that was a really good move. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fantastic. Right. And so then the face-off between, again, her and the mom is just so satisfying to watch. It truly, truly is. But yeah, I don't... I don't. There's something weird about it being a prequel, but not being the actual beginning of the story, right. I think. No, I agree. I feel like... And I, I feel we're just skipping ahead to like pitches at this point. Mm-hmm. It'd be more interesting to just like have another prequel but instead of like making it focus on the Estonian family that, ki- that Esther killed or Lena or whatever maybe it focuses more on like her upbringing like growing up being this person who's like stuck as a nine year old and how that like affects her mentally I think would be more interesting yeah no, I think that could be a really interesting character piece um we also, I mean, we don't know what happened to her actual family, right? Yeah, no, um, I don't think we do know. And that might be kind of interesting, right? Because she's, what, so she's 31 in this prequel, which, right. like, I mean, I don't really know what, like, average life expectancy in Estonia is, right? But, like, feasibly, like, her parents are fairly likely could still be alive, right? Or she Probably, would have siblings yeah. or, like, yeah, I mean, I think a story seeing her, like, relate to her own family in some way could be really interesting yeah i mean like there's probably like more of a reason than just like the fact that she looks like a nine-year-old that she's so fucked up and that can be explored very much like with her i don't know becoming a murderer it's like orphan like to be what, what what's that netflix show creating a murderer like oh that. yeah making a murderer making a murderer Something like that yeah orphan making a murderer Making a murder Estonian edition. Yeah. Well, I, I think that there's, like, a natural sort of movement, right? That the, the first film, Esther, is... You know, we see her sort of the devil child. She's revealed to be more the fatal attraction kind of character. But, right. like, she's very much, like, we just know her as kind of purely bad. Yeah. And she's, like, a blast to watch, but she is is not necessarily, like, a, a relatable character. Or, right. like, she's not the character that we follow. Yeah. And then in the prequel, she is the character that we follow, but the entire time, she's still the exact same character. And I I think, like, it's interesting, or I think it's a good thing that they're making her, like, this sort of victim-ish character, because it makes us relate to her more. Because, like, I almost felt sorry for her pretty much throughout the, the second half of the film, which, like, in the first Orphan, I didn't really that much. Yeah, yeah, like, I I think essentially there's a movement towards, like, we're supposed to experience more, I guess, more pathos around her um, in the prequel. And yeah, so, um, yeah, I I say let's just go straight to pitches. Um, So my pitch was uh, similar in some ways. Um, Essentially, my feeling is, um, I would, well, I'll just read it. Okay. Uh, So Esther is a young woman with a long history of abuse. After lashing out at one of her abusers, she's sent to the Sarn Institute. And so I would start the film there, that she has um, 
you know, some kind of, like, predatory relationship with somebody. Uh, she's mm. lashed out and probably killed them. Um, and so she's at the Sarn Institute. Uh, I would have her escape non-violently, and then because she's kind of desperate for a new life, mm. she flees to the U.S. to impersonate this, um, you know, missing child of, of this wealthy family, right. not realizing that they have uh, kind of a dark shared secret. Mm. And so it's the same... I mean, I imagine the plot would follow a lot of similar beats but I kind of like the idea of of the film being sort of she's been victimized in, in whatever different ways and sort of like takes that power back and is is imprisoned for it and so she's really just desperate for a new life mm. and then it's like the, the family that she joins is what kind of morphs her into the monster that we see in the original film mm. I like that but at the same time, like, I still want to know, like, what happened to her as she was growing up. Mm-hmm. It's like, I feel like there's just, like, so many, like, de- developmental things that would, like, either go over your head or you completely miss if you're, like, looking like a nine-year-old throughout your entire, like, teens and early adulthood. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I think that there's, like, a whole kind of, um... There's like a predatory male presence in yeah. in in both films. You know, in the in the prequel, one of the guards is like very much kind of like creeping on her, yeah. and there's like that weird thing of being like, "Well, she's in her thirties, but also right. that's gross, man. Something's right. wrong." Right, um, and that's like what I'm interested in because like it gets into like an ethical dilemma of like she can consent because she's an adult mentally, but like whoever she's consenting to is like kind of pedophilic yeah there's some like really like there's like a whole can of like very weird worms there right. you know and I kind of want to just explore that cause like I, 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 just, I just think it would be interesting to like have her like try to be this like adult person who like has sexual urges and wants to be treated with respect which we see kind of well we see in both films but we see especially in uh, in First Kill but like being pretty much denied that every t- every chance that she gets. Yeah, yeah. One, my my vision for how I, w- I think I would approach a prequel would be starting with her at the Sarn Institute mm. and starting with a therapy session. I think would be really interesting because we we in in both films we see her interacting with therapists and we see that she's really has a good sense of how to like work around people how to um kind of manipulate and control people and uh hide what's going on um and i think that there could be a really interesting dynamic to both i just think a conversation like that would be really satisfying and could give us this sense of what what came before because i i think i would still yeah i still just think the the basic plot of this prequel um of first kill right. is really really clever and fun yeah. and I think it's for me it's just a question of like what is uh, what is Esther like at the beginning of this story right. and I think that's really what we lose is that she's exactly the same all the way through pretty much yeah yeah I mean it's hard to like follow a character who's just like not really developing or growing as a person yeah and I feel like there's almost like a, a maybe a weird connection to you know biologically that she hasn't changed since she was nine people treat her the same way and she seems to be seeking out you know like she she does you know look for families who will take her in and treat her as a nine-year-old 
at the same time as she wants to bone the dad. You know, there's um, there's a weird kind of like arrested development yeah. within her on like a, a character level almost, or you know, like on multiple levels. She's sort of frozen in time and struggling with like both this childishness and being like a grown woman. Yeah, I mean it's contradictory because like she's using her child like appearance and behavior in order to kind of be more of an adult. Like, she's kind of relying on the fact that she looks like a child in order to, like, be in a house and, like, potentially have a partner, things like that. Yeah, well, and there's, there's something, I mean, I, I think, like, one of the central things that, like, I don't really know what to do with in these movies right. is that, like, the way that she tries to bang the dad it doesn't is make by sense. acting as their daughter. It fundamentally so. does not make sense, but, like, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it, it, if it works out somehow, there's a lot of things wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, I think centrally there is just, like, this this motion of... First Kill wants us to relate to Esther in a way that the original film doesn't, and right. I think that actually that was a really good call. Um, I agree, and, yeah. Yeah, I mean, all around, honestly, I'm genuinely impressed that, like, First Kill is as good as it is, mm-hmm. even with all its flaws. Um, I that, agree. Again, it has just these enormous gaping plot holes, and, like, you know? Just... I feel like if they just, like, didn't have, like, like I was alluding to a while ago, like, if they didn't have as many, like, side characters that have nothing to do, like the detective who just got killed, like, right when the plot didn't need him anymore, or, like, the therapist with the parrot that is super unnecessary in my opinion like if they just didn't have those characters the movie would be so much better yeah i think i think that's fair i think yeah i feel similarly that like the the cop character i'm kind of like either he needs more to do or he needs to not be here i wish he had more to do because i feel like he'd be like besides like alan not alan alan that's his father right yeah alan Mm -hmm. besides him he's like we don't have any other, like, main character that's, like, just a decent human being that's, like, grounded mm-hmm. in reality. Yeah. Uh, and Alan's kind of an, a big-ass himbo throughout, so... It, it, I, th- I, th- I think it would be interesting to have someone who's, like, both against Trisha and against Esther at the same time. Who's, like, trying to bring them both down. Yeah, yeah, I think he adds, like, an interesting kind of threat to the film. Right. That we, like, we love both Trisha and Esther. Uh, at the same time, it's like, we're like, okay, they're terrible people, but they're really fun to watch. Right. And, yeah, he adds another dynamic. And he also just is fairly Dilfy himself. Yeah, he's um, pretty Dilfy. Yeah, he's at least moderately Dilfy. He's pretty Dilfy. He's up there. Yeah. Maybe, like, Gilfy, I guess, because he's kind of older. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I'd put him quite that old. <laughs> He has, like, gray hair. Um, That's Gilfie. That's a silver daddy in my community. Okay, yeah. No, I mean, like, silver daddy, <laughs> I would I would take over Gilf. Um, Fair. Yeah. But, yeah, re- regardless, yeah, I think that he's... Um, he adds that interesting level of threat that, like, impacts both of the kind of most central characters. Right. Because, um, yeah, I mean, I think Trisha has, like, a very sort of Stepford Wives yeah. kind of vibe from, uh, to her. Um, and so he, he's again, like another thing that risks kind of breaking down their like Martha Stewart, New England kind of lives. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, he sort of pops in a couple times and then 
dies and it's like his his death only exists so that we can find out that Trisha is like kind of a psycho. Pretty much. Both he and the therapist feel like just plot conveniences. Like they just exist to move the plot forward. And I feel like that's kind of a shame because I feel like they could be used in much more interesting ways. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm trying to think of like what I would do. You know, it would be an interesting move if he tried to warn Esther that mm. something seemed wrong. And I don't know, plot-wise, how that would actually work. I mean, it could work if, like, I don't know, if he's just, like, wary of her, of Trisha. Maybe if they found the body of Esther at some point, but then, like, they'd be like, that's Esther, then who's that? Then who's flying the plane? <laughs> right, <laughs> who's flying the plane, yeah. Alternately, what if Trisha pushed Esther to, to murder him? Mm-hmm. Um, and th- so, like, the reveal would almost be flipped, where, like, Trisha reveals that she's a psycho, um, pushes Esther to murder the cop, so, mm-hmm. that she, so that Esther would be implicated, which kind of mirrors the way that uh, Esther makes Max help her hide the body of the nun. It would be, almost, I guess, like, a way that we would see her, like, learning the tricks that right. she ends up using later. Yeah. I think that'd be interesting too and it would also like see her be sort of this victim character kind of yeah i i think again it gives us more of a sense of the loss of you know some kind of innocence right. I, I i guess or, or or that her character is going through kind of like a, a descent yeah yeah speaking of which that's kind of like why i what something that i liked about first kill that i wish they did more of was like the fact that she had this like weird rat pet for like a hot yeah, second yeah she just had this like fucking ratatouille ass like fucking pet that she was just taking care of i i liked i like seeing that like she wasn't like entirely completely evil up until that point yeah and it's very sweet that like the thing that she would find connection with is like a rat that lives in the walls yeah. you know it feels very uh on point for her as a character it does yeah like i kind of wish that like Maybe it was the the rat was the only thing that like she actually cared about and like was nice to, and then Trisha kills it. Yeah, that'd be more interesting. Yeah, yeah. What well, I wonder, you know, if if there's a point, I think there's a danger maybe of if we make Esther too uh, sort of pure or innocent right. uh, in this film or too much kind of like the victim of circumstance, right. then like her being, like, a full-blown sociopath in, in the original film. Like, I guess there's a danger of, like, retconning that character right. too far. But I, I, I think fundamentally maybe it's just that there's, like, a lot of space to really humanize her and also set up the kind of, the fall that she goes through that right. leads her to become this very, like, hardened, calloused figure. I agree. Yeah. No, I just want her, I don't want her to be, like, a full-on, like, sympathetic character in first kill but i want her to like at least be a little bit more sympathetic than in uh the original orphan so like we can just follow her kind of losing whatever innocence that she had left by the end of the of first kill yeah i mean i yeah i think i think there's a lot of a lot of cool stuff there yeah i agree and in like what my pitch would have been would have been to just see her, like, fully start out as, like, an innocent character that eventually just gets fucked up into, like, this person that would be capable of murdering and, like, is completely just mentally unstable. Which is why I kind of want to start it with, like, her growing up 
with this disease and kind of coming from a fucked up family. And during the Cold War, I think. Yeah, it would be during the Cold War. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think like yeah. the 70s, 80s, uh, which was 70s, 80s in Estonia were not that great. So, yeah. Yeah, no, you're you're totally right. And I think that there's maybe even something to play on of like a kid who's grown up um, very much uh, being like the other mm-hmm. within like the Soviet bloc, yeah. uh, then coming to like an extremely wealthy family in New England. Like there's, there's character development that could be pulled from that as well. I mean, she like almost certainly grew up in like some kind of poverty or at least like compared to American standards, like probably like not super well off and like her being in that position and already and being like this person who can't grow up past the age of nine like that would just like compound onto itself she'd probably be like considered kind of like a freak in her society or like a freak in her like circle of people that know her yeah well and i mean you know, I think maybe we don't want to cast her as our, like, working class, like, Bolshevik hero. She is But Bolshevik I kind of hero. do want to. I yeah. want Esther to be the Bolshevik hero killing the rich people. She actually kind of is. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe I stan Esther from Orphan. But I kind of stan Esther from Orphan. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like she... Uh... I mean, she's only exclusively, like, killing rich Americans. Yeah. Who are kind of jerks to her, at least in some respect. Yeah, yeah, there's, 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 like, maybe, like, a, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe what it is is that I feel like that there could be a, a philosophy around her that she kind of is, like, this, like, dispossessed person who right. comes to, into these homes of, like, obscene wealth, you mm-hmm. know, and I think, again, that would, like, that feels maybe more relatable, um, yeah. or, or more, uh, something that we can have, like, compassion or empathy for in a different right. way. Yeah, and I mean, like, what Esther, I think, represents in the Orphan movies isn't only just, like, the fear of, like, children and the fear of, like, having the stranger come into your family, but also just, like, the fear of immigration, of not trusting, like, foreigners, especially, like, foreigners from the former Soviet bloc. Yeah, and I think, like, our, our really deep-seated fear of that, like, pathological daddy lust. That too, yes. Yeah, call back to an old episode, hey <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, I mean, I think that there could be, like, really... I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if I would say that, like, either of these films really have a lot of subtext right. or, like, a lot of intentional subtext, but I think there's right. a lot of, like interesting stuff that you can pull out and that you could work with in creating yeah. a new film. And I, I, and I think that's good that they're not like going super deep into it because I don't think they need to. Like they know it's kind of a stupid film that's just really fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of want to keep it that way but I also think it's like interesting to play around with those elements at least on a surface level. Yeah. Maybe if like she murdered people through Skype. Oh my god. It's the only Estonian thing I know. It's just Skype. They also have a neat flag. That's about it. Yeah, I mean, that's more than I know about Estonia. Yeah. They speak uh, Estonian, which is closely related to Finnish. It's an Urgalic language. Yeah, it uh, doesn't use Cyrillics, we learned. It does not, no, because we were confused as to like why the Bible that she carried around was 
using Latin script when she was supposed to be Russian. And they were like, oh, it's because she's Estonian, which was the Shyamalan twist. <laughs> yep, there we go. <laughs> she's Estonian. Maybe the real friends. Or the Estonians. <laughs> 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 Return to the Telepodcast is a production of Silent Machine Studios, featuring music by My Silent Machine. If you enjoyed this episode, like, subscribe, and do whatever else you usually do with podcasts, I don't know. Thank you for listening.